With a tilt of her small head and a ruffle of feathers, she looks side to side content, so far away from solid ground. I keep wondering, is this what it's like to be a sparrow in God's eyes, peacefully perched up high, confident that letting go will not result in a free fall? I recall looking away for a moment, then she was gone. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Leslie Bustard and her husband, Ned, are the driving force behind Square Halo Books and the Square Halo Conference. In Christian art, a square halo signifies a living person presumed to be a saint. Leslie Bustard deserves a square halo, for she's a saint, and she is very much living, even though she has been walking through the valley of the shadow of death these last few years, as you will hear in the following conversation. Leslie's new poetry collection, her first, is called The Goodness of the Lord in the Land of the Living. Leslie Bustard, I'm very, very glad to have you on the Habit Podcast today. I'm really, really glad to be here. It's just wonderful. I am so excited about your book, which is just just now being released, The uh, the goodness of the mm-hmm. Lord in the land of the living. We just got the, um, yep, we just got the boxes yesterday in our house. And that was pretty exciting because I thought it was going to be a couple more weeks. So, uh-huh. like so uh, what's the official release date for this book? Uh, middle of February, I think around February 17th, around the time we have our conference. Yep, the Square Halo Conference in Lancaster. The Square Halo Conference. Yeah. Um, well, great. Well, that, well this, that's about the time this will be releasing, so it's just right. It's perfect. It's yeah. great timing. <laughs> okay. I love this title, The Goodness of the Lord in the Land of the Living. Tell me about that. That's from Psalms, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And I couldn't tell you what the verse is, which makes me feel very silly. I should probably have that in my brain. Yeah. Right. But you know, as so many people, especially in the rabbit room, but as so many different people know, I've been dealing with cancer for three years. Yeah. This is actually really the um, the month three years ago that it was all really, um, we were finding out that not only did I have breast cancer, but I had stage four melanoma. Um, and so I didn't start writing poetry until like about a year into it, maybe, yeah, yeah about a year into the cancer stuff. But I know that pretty early on in my cancer stuff, there are two things that I I was trying to keep myself conscious of what and praying about. And I was asking the Lord that he would really make Psalm 23 real to me. Mm-hmm. And that also that verse that I would see, what does it look like to see the goodness of God even in even though I was in the shadow of death, but we're still living. What does mm-hmm. God's goodness look like? Yeah. And um yeah. so those are two things that that rolled around in my brain often. Yeah. And um and then as you know, as I had cancer, we moved into COVID, you know, oh, wow. and yeah. and that all kind of started all around like my cancer's treatments and such started the week before COVID really hit. Uh-huh. And then maybe a week later, we were all in lockdown. So I did, um, as the weather got better, I did a lot of walking and it yeah. felt like 
I was just keeping my eyes open to all the beauty that was around me. Yeah. One of your uh, poems, I think it might be, might even be the first poem in the, the Tonka section of the book. You said you, you told a friend, all I can, all I can, seems like all I can write about is uh, trees and birds. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then your yes, friend said, that, that was... sounds like the start of a poem. And it's actually really did what happens. Um, and this was someone who was a new friend at church and she also was a writer and a poet. And um, she, we were getting together and this is later on. This is like maybe two years, maybe into mm-hmm. the life of cancer and then writing. And she, I was asking her to look over some of my work and give me some good editing yeah. things. And it, and I what editing points and, I did say to her, I don't know what to write about anymore. It just seems like it's about birds and trees because a lot of my things that I was writing about came from either the walks I was taking um, or just sitting. I had this lovely little porch off of on the second floor. And in the second floor, my study is at the back of the house. Uh-huh. And off of that, I have a sweet little um, porch, outside porch. And I just get to see our yard and everyone else's yard. And um, it's not very big. We live in the city. We live in a row home. Our yard is, I don't know how to compare it to yards anymore because I'm so used to it. Yeah. And I love its size. But compared to some city yards, it's a nice, It's it's not... It's a nice size Um, compared to the art I grew up with. It's tiny, but there's so much life in it. There is so much life in it. And a lot of it had to do with the birds and the trees. Mm. So, yeah. Um, So you started writing poetry after your cancer diagnosis, after you'd been dealing Mm -hmm. with cancer for a year. Yeah, about so. Yeah. Can it you might put your have been about why you suddenly months. turned into a poet. Um, <laughs> well, at that, at that I, point in your life. Yeah. It was really because I was praying a lot about it. Mm. Um, I had written poetry in high school and a little bit in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's some poems I wrote in college that Ned ended up um, doing some really neat um, illustrating. We were friends in college and then, you know, we were dating and Mm -hmm. I'd made this book of poems I'd written and had given it, made a book like a craft and gave it to my aunt as a gift. And um, so I'd been writing poetry, but for some reason through my adult years, whether I just didn't want to be vulnerable with myself Mm -hmm. or I wasn't courageous Mm-hmm. I just felt like the things I wrote as a young person just felt very dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of embarrassed. Yeah. And so I stopped, but then mm-hmm. I fell in love with other people's poetry over the years. And I just grew to really love, love, love poetry and, and um, sharing it with my kids and with my mm-hmm. community and um, Lucy Shaw's poetry, as I have shared often with people is that her words have been a means of grace for me spiritually. And so poetry is just always has, especially poems have to do about ordinary life and, or about nature. And I don't really like long poems. If it's longer than a page, I'm usually a little bit lost Mm -hmm. and there's classic poems I like, but I really love discovering contemporary poets. So Poetry was something I was reading often while with this cancer. 
And um, I'd been doing a lot of writing with cultivating mm-hmm. um, on the cultivating project. So I'd been doing a lot of essay writing and that had been really wonderful. I'd loved the writing I'd been doing. But I just started to have that desire to write poetry because then, I mean, still, I don't know how, what this cancer journey will be like. It's quiet right now, but um, the type of cancer I have and the stage I have, I won't go into remission. It'll just be like, okay, it's quiet now. Then maybe something will come up and they'll take care of it. And maybe I'll be okay for a while until eventually I won't be okay. And then we'll be heading in darker things. So I just was like, Lord, one of those things I would love to do is somehow write about the world as a poet. Mm. And so I just started praying a lot. And and it was like the first thing I felt like I was, I don't know how God does this, especially because I'm a Presbyterian, but I just felt God really interacting with me in my mm-hmm. spirit over this. Um, I felt like I needed to say to my young self, it's okay. Your poetry was dramatic. You were 18. uh, Your brain was still developing. So I learned to like, be okay. That, that, yeah, the poetry was what it was because I was a teenager. Um, And that helped me. And so it all, it was, I started, I was just praying a lot. Sometimes I'd be walking and playing around with some phrases in my head that would have, naturally made it gone to essays, but one morning, so this was, I hope this doesn't sound like I'm trying not, I'm trying to like condense things, but um, there came a point with some of the meds that I was taking that I could not get up in the morning without Ned pulling me out of bed. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, I could barely, I could hardly take care of myself. So once I got going in the day after Ned would take care of me, I might take like a really long walk and that would loosen up my joints. So I just couldn't take care of myself. So many times I'd be awake in the morning and Ned would still be sleeping and I wouldn't want to wake him up because it would be really early, <laughs> like six, six thirty. So this one morning, I just remember I was looking up at the ceiling, watching the lights move across the ceiling. We live in the city. So mm-hmm. you get, even if the you've got curtains drawn, you still kind of get lights to the curtains from the outside. And um, all of a sudden just things started coming into me, like mm-hmm. just this poem, just, it just came crashing into my brain. And so I kept kind of playing around with the words and I didn't hate the topic I was writing about. Mm -hmm. So eventually, and then another one came and I'm like, okay, this is a lot. So I had three ideas of three Mm -hmm. poems playing around in my brain. And um, so eventually when I got out of bed and Ned got me ready, I was sitting in my study and I just started writing things down. And that's kind of how it all started. started. I just... I wanted it and I just prayed and and I knew how much I needed God to first help me be courageous and yeah. to be vulnerable even to myself yeah. with the vulnerability felt like not because I couldn't deal with my emotions, but was I willing to um, not like what I wrote hmm. or was I willing to write it and then go back to it and edit it? Or could I share it with Ned and have him give me input? Mm-hmm. Um, the first part, the first three or four poems I wrote, I shared with one of my, uh, with a long distance friend 
And she long distance is that she lives like an hour away and we don't really see each other a lot, but we really care for each other. But she's a wonderful poet. Her name is Kristen Perrin Uh and she's a professor at Messiah. So I sent her a couple and I said, just want to get a little bit of your thoughts. So she sent back just one that she edited for me. And I was like, oh, how did I think I could do anything? Because she's amazing, you know? And so I was really humbled at first because I was like, oh, that I, I can't believe I even shared myself that way. And then it dawned on me, this woman that I really respect um, who's a really wonderful teacher and poet has just given me a gift. Yeah. She's shown me how to think about poetry. And so I used some of her, how she modeled for me, how she worked on my poem mm-hmm. that gave me the first couple steps to help me work on my own, on my mm-hmm. own. Yeah. Um, although I liked getting a lot of other people's feedback. Yeah. So. Did any of those three first poems make it into this collection? Yes, the um the one of, I think it's called Crash Course. Would you read and it? I, I have to find it. Okay, but that's all it right. is, and it's it's gone through a couple changes um because of the help that she gave me, and then I let it sit for a long, long time, and then I came back to it, and I was like, oh, I realized what the poem didn't need anymore after mm. having not looked at it for a while so i'm almost is page 29 thank you i think it was in the summer no it was in the autumn there we go okay and so the the secret behind this poem is almost all of my poems are really about things that i've experienced so this feels more like what maybe could have happened in our life, but it really didn't. It didn't. Okay. But I really liked playing around with the words. The uh-huh. sentiment is real, but I liked the images that were coming in my head. Yeah. It was like a little story that I turned into a poem. Well, let's hear it. So it's called Crash Course. And I think Kristen named it too. <laughs> I take a piece of white paper from the pile on the kitchen table and a lone red magic marker and fill its space with tall capital letters, I love you. After a few attempts at creasing and folding, I Google how to make a paper airplane, though you showed our children this maybe an hour ago. I want to see my airplane glide into your hand after one sweeping loop in the air but imagine it will nosedive into an elbow and crash land at your feet. Outside, taking a cue from one of our girls, I hold the paper airplane above my head and pointing it, walk over to you in the middle of our yard. (laughs) I love it. And so that was that first day of that first flurry of poems in three of my day. Yeah, it just kind of came out and it had more to it. It was like, I had put in there that somehow it was October and Ned was mowing the lawn and uh-huh. I had just done the dishes. It had like more in it. And then I realized it doesn't need all of that in it. Yeah. Do people even mow the yard in October in Pennsylvania? Uh, our yard, we'd get like one more mowing uh-huh. and we don't, we don't, ha- we don't have like an, um, 
an electric mower. It's like a Amish push mower. Oh my goodness. Really? Yes. That really needs to be uh, sharpened, but that's uh-huh. what we have. So <laughs> I, I keep coming back to the idea of you having to be kind, not just to your current self, but to your 18 year old self. Mm-hmm. And yeah. man, I, I can so relate to that. I, <laughs> The, yeah. the things I wrote when I was that age, it, sometimes I'll see something and think, oh, my goodness, who was this exactly? Yeah. I remember I um, it was really a, it was a creative time for me. I was a junior in high school and I was taking like a, um, an elective class, which really wasn't a major class. I don't even remember what the teacher did in it, but it was a poetry writing class. Mm-hmm. And maybe we spent a lot of time just with a journal writing yeah, and I wrote a lot and I even shared it with my favorite teachers and they gave me very encouraging feedback. But I remember one of my poems I wrote that I, I, I don't think I could actually recite it right now, but it was really short. And honestly, it was inspired, not because it was exactly like a Duran Duran song, <laughs> but I was totally into Duran Duran. And um, it was just kind of inspired by that weird, like, words that pop singers put together. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so I sometimes I think about, and one reason recently I've been thinking about this is I really love Seamus Heaney's poetry. Mm-hmm. And his poetry like when he's talking about his childhood he's talking about really interesting things <laughs> or if he's talking about like people who he knew when he was a child and the things they did yeah. and i'm like i'm gonna write about duran duran <laughs> so, <laughs> just um i don't I, I just i felt like i don't feel like i have a very deep well to draw from <laughs> compared to other poets so <laughs> Well, you mentioned that your your poetry when you were young was so dramatic. And one thing that occurred to me is you're at a at a point in your life with actual drama, right? Life yeah. and death, questions of life and death. Yeah. And your poetry is less overtly dramatic. Hmm. Tell me yeah. about that. What what's tell me Well, what comes to my mind when you say that is that around the time, um, the first book I read um, that dealt specifically with someone having cancer Mm -hmm. after I found I had cancer was Walter Wangren's, um, I think it's called The Letters from Cancer Land, Walter Wangren's. Mm -hmm. And he, um, that book and also... um, Madeline Lingle's two-part invention. She talks about her husband's cancer in that book. Those were the only books I really read about having cancer. And Walter says in that book, and I have loved Walter Rangren since like my late 20s. I love his writing so much. I think that's why I love The Rabbit Room because everyone loves him. But um, he says that he wanted to... He was talking about it being winter and taking a walk in the snow. And he wanted to take it slowly so that he could really pay attention. And he said he didn't want to have experiences because it could be the last time he ever did something. He just wanted to experience it now. Oh, wow. 
And that, that honestly became one of my, another theme for myself that I didn't want to get into a loop in my head saying, this could be the last time and this is going to, I'm going to have this experience or I'm going to see this. I just want to be in it. Um, So, and that goes, I feel like is it goes along with how um, I feel like part of my spiritual life, part of my following Jesus um, since like, well, I've been married my whole adult life. So I guess I could say since I got married for my whole adult life um, (laughs) is that the Lord has been showing me his, his love of ordinary, you know, his, and, and, and the glory of the ordinary, you know, and, and there's so many neat writers who have talked about that, you know, like, uh, is it Kathleen Norris's quotidian mysteries? Mm. Um, just so, and then even recently, some writers have been writing well about yeah. um, and the literature of the ordinary, exactly. Is, you know, and so, I, I felt like my whole for myself, a vision for myself was to bring to have my eyes open and paying attention to the just goodness of every day Mm -hmm. and then also try to see the beauty or bring the beauty into Mm -hmm. our everyday life whether it's with my family or in the classroom or with Mm -hmm. my community at church um so i've just always loved ordinary um so so this time of having cancer where i am not working full time. I'm not working outside the home anymore. Mm-hmm. My life is totally slowed down. Yeah. And then, you know, it's COVID and you're at home and you're, and I, I just spent a lot of time outside. Um, I just asked God to help me just keep seeing. And I just did. And it was, yeah. it, that became a means of grace uh-huh. was, so it, it's been a dramatic time compared to when I was a child, it's real drama, but the peacefulness of looking at lights that shine through green leaves, mm-hmm. um, the feel of grass beneath my feet. Um, I don't, I don't remember what the birds are called because I have a really bad memory, but there's certain birds that fly in the air around six o'clock at night in the summer, you mm-hmm. know, and I can just, I, they, and they, I might be out on our patio or I might be out on the porch on the second floor and they're just, doing their thing and it just it's comforting and it's good yeah so yeah i think young writers have the idea that maybe it's their job to manufacture drama and interest Mm -hmm. and you're at a point in your life where you where you realize all i've got to do is pay attention and the drama and the interest are there you you mentioned how much life there was in your in your little yard well you big yard but (laughs) your yard right exactly um and Lucy Shaw has taught me to see um, in her poetry, like I, that was another thing. Like I could spend hours in a museum. Like I just love museums. Mm-hmm. That's just has always been what I've, I'm like, I've liked being out in nature, uh-huh. but I also, the man I married also could spend hours in a museum or uh-huh. sailing on the bay. He's uh-huh. not someone who like needs to go walk on hikes. And I'm like, I could do that. So um, Lucy Shaw was the one who helped me take a lot of things that I love about beauty that maybe I might really look for in a museum, at, but see it outside. And mm-hmm. I love how she writes about nature. And yeah. 
So I know that some of my poetry writing was really inspired by, by her because mm-hmm. I really love how she she'll write about nature, but she oh somehow so many of her poems bring you back to something about God or Jesus or someone in the Bible, like the spirituality mixed with nature um, has been a really great, um, has really been helpful to my own spiritual life. Mm. Um, You said this a while back, and for some reason it feels relevant now, you know, even in the valley of the shadow of death, that valley is still in the land of the living. Yes. And you are, you know, so attuned. I mean, I can tell from your poems, you're so attuned to what it means to be in the, the land of the living. Yeah. I love at the end of Psalm 23. And this is so when I was when for a long time, Psalm 23 just felt like that poem you read, whether you memorized it as a child mm-hmm. or as what was read at a funeral. Um, so it just always, I, I never really connected for some reason. I didn't care about it as much. And then for some reason, and I don't remember at all, I discovered the last part where it says that goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that verse at some point in my life just exploded in my mind and in my imagination that in God's love, he has this. And again, it's a mystery. I don't always know what that looks like, but goodness and mercy follow us. Mm-hmm. And um, I love that. And so from there, I kind of worked myself backwards through that Psalm. So there is something that's true about we're going to we're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and he's going to be with us but also goodness and mercy are with us and we might have enemies near us but there's blessings that are overflowing mm. um there's this again i'm really bad with names but i think her name is eliza king she has a beautiful version of psalm 23 that she has crafted around psalm 23 and she has as part of that song she says um one day we'll be together and we'll look over the valleys that we you walked with me through yeah. i'm like oh that that <laughs> this is so beautiful yeah. i love that picture is so, that a song a poem what is that it is a song it yeah. is a song and i wish i could tell you what it is um and again it's one of those lovely stories that i discovered that song the day i had my first seizure this summer mm. and it was on my phone. And so when I finally, and I had listened to it like once. And then when I got into my, after the seizure and I got through uh, the emergency room and they got me in a room and everything had calmed down. I could, I could remember words and talk normally again. And so um, I think my family had gone to eat lunch or something. And I just put that song on and I played that song over and over mm-hmm. for like three or four days. And it was really a beautiful way to get through that hard time. Yeah. Why don't you maybe look it up and we'll put it in the show notes about that. We'll do that. I will do that because right. it's a beautiful song. All right. My plan was for you to read a bunch of your poems that we've, we've at okay. least got to read a couple before we run okay. out of time. Um, so would you read the bird out my window? I will. And this is a true story. Good. <laughs> okay. We this can't have not- you just making stuff up. 
I'm not making it up. <laughs> but my favorite thing about this this poem, um, and it was such a gift to me. I, I think I one of the earlier versions. I think I had put on my Facebook page. And um, do you know the painter Bruce Herman? No. He's a professor up at Gordon. Um, okay. He's uh, he's friends with Malcolm Geit and a lot of other po- uh, artists that my husband mm-hmm. knows because of Siva. And I just know him from, I've never met him, but we have some lovely connections from other people. So he, I guess, had found out about my cancer journey and was paying attention to me, which humbled me because uh, I love his paintings mm-hmm. a lot. And either I had put this poem on my Facebook page or put it in my Karen Bridge. And he messaged me and told me all these things that he had gleaned from this poem that I didn't even know were there. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow, that that was amazing. Yeah. So, but as you I know, just because you didn't know they were there, that doesn't mean they aren't there. That doesn't mean he was making it up, right? That's- he saw things that were yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. And it just, it was a gift. So- I, st- I wrote this poem after I had read a poem by Denise Levertov and was playing around with this line that I have at the beginning of the poem. As hawks rest upon air and the air sustains them. I keep returning in my mind to a bird I saw yesterday. She sat still on the topmost branch of a nearby tree made leaf empty by a late autumn rain. Of all places to perch, this bird chose the thinnest, loneliest twig. With no other birds nearby, she tightly held her own against a white sky. Her weight, or a slight breeze, caused the branch to sway. With a tilt of her small head and a ruffle of feathers, she looked side to side, content. So far away from solid ground. I keep wondering... Is this what it's like to be a sparrow in God's eyes, peacefully perched up high, confident that letting go will not result in a free fall? I recall looking away for a moment, then she was gone. Ooh, I love it. I love that insight. That question, is this what it's like to be a sparrow in God's eyes this far from the yeah. Thank yeah. you. And it really, like that... All of those things did happen, which feels really good to say. Mm-hmm. Like I was sitting on my porch, looking out my um, over the backyard, and we have this big tree that's actually in um, not in our yard, but because uh, it's beyond our, our fence. Um, and the tree was leaf empty because it was mm-hmm. late. It was autumn, late autumn, and she was at the very, very, t- or he at the mm-hmm. very, very tip top. And it was just slightly swaying. And I'm like, how are you up there um, holding on? And you, and it was, it was all alone. And I'm like, you don't look worried. <laughs> how long are you going to stay up there? And it yeah. stayed there for a while. And yeah. eventually that idea of being a sparrow, like being a sparrow in God's eyes, he's taking care of you. Like, mm-hmm. like he's taking care of me. So yeah. a an image that recurs, it's it showed up in this poem and it shows up in probably 
eight or 10 poems would be my guess in your collection. I'm sure you're aware of this is the idea of a, of a leaf bear tree, yeah. those limbs, those leaf bear limbs reaching up into the sky. Yeah. Why does that image appear so much in these poems? I, I'm, I'm thinking because I thought about that. I, I do really love trees. I, I love I, Psalm one has always meant a lot to me too. the idea of, um, if as we seek to be formed by God, we will be like that tree um, that's going to bear its fruit, you know, and bear. It. So I've just loved. So I again, I did a lot of walking uh-huh. and a lot of looking at trees. So when you live in the city, uh, there are bunches of trees, but it's not like you're surrounded by them. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know, like I love looking. When the trees are full of leaves, I love looking at them and the light that can play with it within mm-hmm. the tree. I love, and I know lots of people feel this way too, like the beauty of colored leaves and what the light looks like coming through a red leaf compared to a yellow leaf. Or, mm-hmm. um, but a, a tree that one day I was looking, actually I have a poem about it. I was looking at a tree across the street and um, we've been living in this house for 21 years. So I've looked at this tree for 21 years mm-hmm. and I was just paying attention to how all of the leaves, all of the branches face are stretching. And um, that idea of Augustine where he says, you know, our hearts are our longings. They cause us to stretch. Yeah. And it made me think about that. It made me think about praying, um, yeah. stretching ourselves up to God. Yeah. Even in, even when all the leaves are gone, it, the tree yeah. is, is uh, I love then it. you're bare. It's like your, your own self is bare before the Lord. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I feel like I haven't, I feel like I've been touching on some of the things I felt about trees and my spirituality. And I don't feel like I've written, I've, I've loved the things I've written about tree, the things about trees and let my life, but um, I don't know if I, I feel like there's an idea that is in the back of my head that I haven't written quite yet. Yeah. I hope I can. Have you read it, The Hidden Life of Trees? I have it. And I have not read the whole thing yet. Yeah. I have well, it illustrated, like a, the version oh. that's full of photographs. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, what, a, what a beautiful book. You need it. You'll love it. I will. Um, all right. Before we run out of time, I, I love... There's a one page with two short poems, Tonsure and Cancer Almost Year Three. Would you read those? Sure. Um, I have to find them. Yep. Yep, there they are. So those are one of the last ones I wrote before the book. We started designing the book. Mm-hmm. And um, it just really did happen because when I had my seizure, um, when, after I had my seizure and they did the surgery, uh, um, to remove the tumor and the tumor was pretty close to the top of my head. So they didn't have to go really deep down, which was really yeah, a blessing yeah. Yeah. to pull it out. Um, they only, the, the hair that I lost at first was really only where they did the surgery. So then a couple weeks later, I started getting radiation and holy cow, after the radiation started. And then after the radiation was done, my hair just falling out and it was very shocking to all of a sudden there you are washing your hair and you're just pulling out handfuls of hair Mm -hmm. and um 
so I had this Ned was like that's a tonsure that's you know what a monk has where um you're bald at the top of your head so so I wrote a few things I still have another idea about it but I'm happily to say I'm not bald at the back of my head anymore (laughs) but so tonsure like me with my skin and scar exposed Did newly vowed monks think of rain and wind on their bare heads as reminders of Christ with them? And then cancer, almost year three. And I was thinking about the verse from Romans 8.25. If we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Early morning, autumn light. Loosened yellow maple leaves float like flecks of gold on air. My shadow lengthens long. And the sun warms the crown of my hair empty head. This, the feeling of hope. So, um, I love the, I- the idea in the first poem, I talked about rain and wind. Um, you know, Jesus being living water and the Holy Spirit being like wind. I just, there are so many times that I want to take those ideas that Christ has given us of, of himself or of the Holy Spirit or of God the Father that you see in nature. And how can I, without it feeling cliche or being pushy, um, without me telling the reader what to think, how can I somehow, because this is what Lucy Shaw had done for me. How can I weave those things together? Yeah. Um, so I have that idea of the, I, and I could feel it, you know, if I took my hat off the feeling of rain on your bare head, it felt really cool. <laughs> so, um, I just, and I then love the that other- reframing from a, this being a loss, which it is to it yeah. also being a, the means by which you can feel those blessings more directly of sunlight and rain. Yeah. Yeah. So there good. are those times when you really end up feeling that, that I, I did. I mean, other times it was really hard and I did not yeah. like it. Yeah. Um, but there are other times that as I've tried through this whole cancer time to what can I see that can be the gift mm-hmm. that God has given me in this moment. So, and, and, when I wrote the the second one, I was like, am I talking about yellow leaves and shadows again? <laughs> <laughs> I did that a lot, but I was like, it was, I was at the back, it was in my backyard and it, yeah. it really, it was all happening like that. And I was like, this really, if, if, cause I was also thinking about at the time, what, if I could do a physical sense of what hope feels like, uh-huh. For me right now, what could hope feel like? I had written a poem about hope for um, my friend, Sean Smucker and his wife, mm-hmm. um, Miley. And I and I had written in part of that poem about the feeling of grass. Mm-hmm. And you can feel the grass, but then underneath, if you're paying attention, you can feel that there's hardness underneath that soft grass. And for some reason at that time, that was like a year before that felt like hope. And so again, I was thinking again about, are there tangible ways that I could touch how hope could feel? Mm-hmm. Um, and in that moment, it was, oh, the sun on my bare head. Yeah, the <laughs> sun, yeah, 
the sun on a, on a radiation bald head. That, that's an incredible yeah. image for hope. Uh, hey, I want to ask one more question or bring up one more topic before we get to our, the very last question about what okay. make you want to write. Um, and I've been, I was thinking about, you, you mentioned that you've always written essays mm-hmm. and then a year into your cancer, you started writing um, poetry. And uh, so I want you to respond to this, to this observation and you can tell me if I'm completely wrong or not. Um, but whereas essay and, and longer forms sort of invite you to sort of stretch out a little bit, a poem mm-hmm requires that you distill and that yeah. you, you know, that, that you squeeze things down. Yes. And that seems very appropriate for somebody who's facing her own mortality. Yeah. I had not thought about it in that way. So I do appreciate that. Um, I can be a very verbose person. <laughs> like <laughs> I just love to, I love to listen to people, but then also I like to talk. Yeah. Um and I love um, putting words together. I love reading other ways people put words together. Um, I like I like reading someone like, say, Ernest Hemingway, who's pretty sparse. Yeah. But then I also really love reading Tolkien, who's really, you know, lots yeah. and lots of yeah. words and description. And so I have, so in one way, I've, I loved the invitation to write for cultivating because I loved writing these essays Yeah, because she invited me to write around the time I found out I had cancer. So yeah. that became the starting point of processing a lot of, of what I was going through and what I was learning. But I think it's been really good for me who can be so verbose to have this place where I need to just, think about one thing or mm-hmm. di- like you were saying, like distill it down to one thing, but can I invite and, and welcome the reader in to look at it in several different ways, whatever mm-hmm. it is I might be talking about. Yeah. Um, and so that, and the thing that has it's, but that's been a, a good challenge. I think the Lord has given me as well. Be, and I don't know why, why I, but I, as I said, I can be so verbose that my poem started off being too wordy and I tried to say yeah. too much. Uh-huh. Like I try to have you picture too much. Yeah. I try to yeah. give it to you too much. And so I, I've had friends like um, a cultivating friend, Amy. She, um, she, she was one of the first people I asked to help edit my poetry. And she just was so kind. And she first was like, I just want you to play with your poems, like play with your words and have fun. Okay. So I did that for a while. And then she's like, okay, now mm-hmm. you would say this line that you just wrote, it takes me out of the poem. And I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. And then I started seeing what she meant. What does it mean to be taken out of what yeah. I've just given? And, and, um, and then later on it, my, another friend, Jessica, said to me, you don't need to use the all the time. I'm like, what? I don't have to use the? And then I started taking the out of all of my poems where you didn't really need it. And I'm like, Uh oh, that helps so much. So um, that's been really helpful. And I don't know why. I don't know what it is. But learning to be okay with not as many words. Yeah. Yeah. Great. All right. We got to wrap this up. So 
I hope you are ready to tell me who are the writers who make you want to write? Well, I can't say Lucy Shocks. I've said her a couple of times. Mm-hmm. So um, I really love um, Marilyn McIntyre. Mm-hmm. She, her book, um, Caring for Words in a Culture of Lies. Yeah. Life-changing yeah. and affirming. Not so much that I needed her to say everything she said about the goodness of words because mm-hmm. I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. I had like a thimbleful of understanding of what she said. She just elaborated it in yeah. ways that yeah, made that's my such heart a good book. Oh, yeah. But her poetry also I love. She um introduced me without knowing the word to it, the idea of writing poems that go with paintings, because Mm -hmm. she has three um, books, one based on Vermeer paintings, one based on Rembrandt paintings, and one based on Van Gogh paintings. Uh And she writes beautiful poems based on their paintings. So I love Marilyn McIntyre. You said you didn't know the word, but now you do know the words. You have to tell it to us. I can't say it. I never say it right. Epraxis. Is that how you say it? I, I, yeah, ekphrasis, ekphrasis, yeah. Ekphrasis. And I ended got up a whole section of ekphrases in this book. Right? So, and I have um, a bunch of those in my own poetry book. Um, and then the other one, I have to look at her name. <laughs> Here it is. Um, she's a newer discovery for me, Naomi Shahab Nye. Oh, yeah. Oh. Love her. She, Yes. She has one about an onion and she has one about um, seeing people at an airport. Mm-hmm. And those I love. I do really love poems about everyday life. And mm-hmm. I also like discovering poems from people from other cultures mm-hmm. that can open my eyes to new things as well as shared humanity yeah um and she has done that for me yeah i'm so glad you mentioned her i love her poem famous that's one of my favorites yes i love that one too so all right leslie bustard thank you so much talking to you gives me a lot of hope so thank you you. i'm grateful to hear that and i always love talking to you like when we (laughs) see each other at hutch mood i'm always like oh yay (laughs) well i hope we can talk again soon Me too. Thank you for this. I'm really grateful. This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.